It's Tuesday, September 1st. Ooh, fall is almost upon us, everybody. And it, you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. On today's episode, Scamming the Scammers. That's right, segment launch. Today, all happening. Also, comedian and host Dave Martin stops by Lemon Press Studios for a great chat about comedy and life. And other things, racism in small town, many things. You'll enjoy it. We go deep. All that and much more starts now. A beautiful waste of time indeed. Thank you for listening and thank you for wasting your time beautifully with me. You're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Coming at you, as always, from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Toronto. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. I I, I thought I'd switch up the uh, version of waste. Hitting back with the... Garage Baby rendition with, of course, Mike Bennett at the helm always. Oh, man. I thought, I thought I'd switch it up to try to jazz myself up. And it kind of worked a little bit because I'm exhausted. <laughs> Am I ever in tip-top shape? Am I ever feeling great when I get on these things? When I get on mic? Uh, like I mentioned last episode, I'm trying to uh, cut back on caffeine. And it's proving to be harder than... Then I thought, first of all, I, I take this uh, Vega, do you guys know Vega shake? Uh, Vega protein, like Vega nutritional, it's like a vegan protein sort of thing. Started here in Vancouver, Canada. Well, why here? I'm not in Vancouver. I just mean in Canada. If you're listening somewhere elsewhere, internationally, this is an international podcast. This is a worldwide podcast. So maybe you're listening... Uh, from, I saw one time there was a download from Iran. So maybe you're, you're in Iran. So just to my Iran listener, there was literally one download one time. Yeah, we have this uh, Vega, Vega protein thing. Anyway, I uh, unbeknownst to me, I looked up and there's caffeine in there because I, I drink the chocolate and the mocha flavored one. I should have known. Anyway, it turns out there's uh, 11 milligrams and 15.5 milligrams, respectfully, respectively, respectfully, language in each. And sometimes I take it right before bed and not sleep that well. I'm wondering why the hell. Anyway, that's why. So I got a, so I, cause I quit coffee and then I was doing that. Anyway, so I'm just prolonging the withdrawal symptoms of caffeine 
So I'm uh, tired. I just I'm at I'm sitting in Lemon Press Studios right now in my boxer shorts because it's uh, really hot, and I just woke up from a three-hour nap. Is it a nap if it's three hours? Anyway, I got here. I couldn't even keep my eyes open, and uh, so I lied. There's a nice couch here in Lemon Press Studios. I lied down for a 20-minute nap, and woke up three hours later. And a lot of stuff happened during then. There was a photo shoot downstairs, Echo One Photography. You know it. My buddy Eugene down there. It was doing a headshot session. I slept through the whole thing. And now I'm. I just woke up, groggy and crabby. Figured I'd have to record a monologue for you. Yeah. Anyway, caffeine is really hard to quit. Like almost harder than anything. <laughs> I'm quitting all fun in my life. You must thank you for keep on keep listening to this shit. I'll still have a beer, but I don't have a beer right now. Just so, just to make you feel fun. So here, let, let me do this. Let me crack a midday. Oh yeah, okay. There's still fun happening here because people get sad and weirded out. When you quit too many things, oh, it's like they're, it's like you're imposing that upon them. Why am I, <laughs> why am I winded? Um, ah, Tecate. All right. Yeah, just having a little midday brew. I don't drink a lot, but I'll have like one or two early, like weirdly early in the day. Because I'm at the studio and I've got a, there's a fridge full of Tecate for my guests when they come by. I like to offer water, beer, coffee. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I, by any stretch, I do not drink a lot. and uh, But I'll have it at weird times. Like I'll have a guest come in at 10.30. I'm like, do you want a, be- do you want a beer? They're like, no, you? I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll have one. Anyway, all right, that's that. So I'm having a, I'm sitting in studio in my underwear having a beer out of guilt for you because I, I want you to enjoy, I want you to have fun when you listen to this. Isn't this fun? Huh? Here, mm, mm. Oh, fun. <coughs> All right. So as I promised on last episode, uh, last Friday's episode with Mark James Heath in the monologue there, I said I would do um, Scamming the Scammers. Okay. And look, there's so much of this material. I have so many of these phone calls that I kind of don't know where to begin. So I figured I'd do this because I already did a preview clip on episode on the reboot episode, episode 95. Can't remember the date, but go back and look. It's only a few episodes back. I did a preview of all the uh, some of the better scam calls, prank calls that I did to these scammers. And so uh, what I figured I would do is I have one phone call. It's like 25 minutes long, so I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'm going to cut it down. Well, it has been cut down already. It's ready to go. And basically, it just uh, gives you a a peek into the mind of a scam artist because this guy, I mentioned this before on the reboot episode, this guy knew I was fucking with him pretty much immediately, but we kept on the phone for a good 25 minutes. At one point, I asked him why... Don't you have better things to do? He said, well, man, I'd rather keep you on the phone on one line because I kept call. This is what I do. I keep calling relentlessly and I bounce around from phone to phone in their call centers. 
and it ties up lines and they get really upset. So, well, I figured since he had me on the line, I'd try to ask him questions, earnest, honest questions about what he does and try to get inside his mind, and I kind of did. So, I'm going to play parts of that phone call. So this is less vulgar and comedic. It does get vulgar at some times. He said some pretty insane shit, threatens to kill me at one point. At one point, he says something horrible about our young girls, as young as 10 to 12, year, 12 years. I don't even want to repeat it because it was so fucked up. But anyways, I'm going to play some clips uh, of that call, and this is going to be a regular segment every show. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to keep calling these guys every day. Turning the tables on them, irritating them as long as I can, as long as I can. <laughs> repeat. Re- re- repeat. All right. So time now for another installment of Scamming the Scammers. Every day that goes by, telephone scammers are stealing your peace, stealing your money. But together we can stop this abuse. Please. Help the JDCH free the people. Please, pick up the phone now and help us fuck these fucking fucks. Thanks for calling CRA. How can I help you? Oh, hi. I got a voicemail on my phone uh, from CRA. All right. What can I do for you then? Uh, Well, you tell me. You left the message. All right. Which call center are you calling from? A call center? I'm not calling from a call center. I'm calling from my home. No, it doesn't seem like. What's that? It doesn't seem like, sir. It doesn't seem like? You added an S there. You shouldn't. It just seemed like. Oh, really? You're calling me from your home. I am calling you from my home. Yeah, that's what I said. All right. And where's your home? What city or province? Uh, Ottawa, Ontario. That's Ottawa. Yeah. Ottawa, Ontario? Yeah. Okay. And what do you want from my end? I would like to give you all of my money. And how do you want to give me all of your money? I can go to a Western Union, maybe. Uh, maybe what? No, I'm just suggesting ideas. I could go, uh, or I could just mail you cash. You do that? Uh, no, the cash, we do not have anyone to pick up your cash from your home. What I could do is I could tape cash to the tip of my dick and fuck you up the ass. Oh, really? Yeah, would you like that? Okay. Find someone else to play around. I'll go at the worst to do, right? I'm not the, but, No, but when you say work, you mean scam innocent people, right? Oh, really? Are you poor? What do you do? Is that why are you you're poor? What do you do, man? What the fuck you do? You're calling from the fucking call center. What do you think that? But <laughs> you're not scamming people. Is it hot in the room you're in right now? You're crammed in a hot little room. What? Are you, you Google your number. You find you're gonna Google your number. You're gonna find lots and lots of complaints that these are the fucking scammer. It, the same way you're telling me that I'm a scammer, you are the scammer too. Is is this a good way to earn a living? Do you, do you make good money? Yeah, it's called an art. It does not call scamming or cheating someone. Oh, an art. An art. <laughs> an art. That's how you justify yeah. it. So you're an artist. Yeah. Um, I, who the fuck you were so I have to justify myself? You are nothing, man. Yeah, I'm, I own you. You want my money. That's why. Oh, really? Yeah, you would love to have my money. That's why you keep calling people like me because we have money here in Canada. Still, but when I search your number, as you say, this is your home number. It I is. I see the picture. 
like a mother, it's a naked mother. Isn't that against your religion to to look at porn? No, it's not. What religion do you subscribe to? Who the fuck you are to I have to give any explanation? Well, you, I mean, you call people, you ask their personal information. I'm just getting to know you a little bit, and I kind of like you, to be honest. All right. Yeah, I think we could. I think we can hang out, you and me. Just platonic. Do you know what platonic means? No, I don't know, man. That means me? that means even though every fiber of your being being wants to fuck me, we we can't. We're just friends. Even though All you right. really want to. Okay. What's your name? Thurn. Thurn. Fern, yeah. Oh, Fern. What's your last name? Arthur. Fern Arthur. Yeah. You know, instead of scamming people, you should take improv classes because you need better skills at thinking on your feet. Oh, really? Yeah. So how many people are working with you right now? 45. 45, that's not too bad. 45 broke, desperate people. What do you guys, what do you guys eat for lunch? Each other? 45. No, 45, not the desperate people, but the 45 trained people who do, who does have the art to take the money out of someone by scaring them or doing whatsoever, whatever it takes for, for them to take the money. Oh, so you do it through fear? Yeah, whatever you say. Right. Well, you know, you just said you scare them. Yeah, we scare them. Anyhow, as I said, anything... We use anything in order to take the money out of the person. Right, right, right. And it's art. Yeah, it's calling art. Okay. Just hold on. I'm going to get you someone who is best speaking to you. Okay, right? please do. Yeah, yeah. Right, Cage. He's going to take, he's gonna take fuck out of you. So you can talk to him, please. Sure, sure. Put him on. Yeah, sure. Just hold on. Yeah, thank you so much. Hello? Is this Officer David Miller? Uh-huh. Can I, how do I give you my money? Well, which way you just want to give me the money? Find, find out the way, man. Oh, well, you're the professional. You're the artist. Yeah. Do, do, do you think that we are professional? No. I mean, yes, we are professional scammers. You're an artist, your colleague was telling me. Fern, Fern Arthur. We are, we are scam artists. You're an artist, right. You create things, right? You're in Canada? Have you ever had an original thought in your life? You you based in Canada? Yeah, I'm based in Canada. Yeah. What do you do there? Uh, I'm er I earn money honestly. What do you do? So wh what do you do there? I mean, you you earning money honestly as yeah. you are saying that you are honest person. Yeah. You should try it. Really? So if I'd be there, would you give me a job? Do you I think that? I would give you a blowjob. Oh <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> So come here and give me a blowjob. Because for to give a blowjob, you should be having a dick, though. Yeah, it's a it's a average sized dick. I don't speak Punjabi. What do you think? We are speaking Punjabi? I don't know. So do you do we this from here? Do you do this because you're poor? No, we are not poor though. But you know, we we like it. Like uh, ripping off you people, you know, you piece of a shit. What? Why? Why are we piece of shit fuckers? Because we have what, freedom what, what, and. What do you think? What do you think? How how much we are earning the day? Uh, out of your knowledge. Yeah. No, I, I, it is out of my knowledge because I don't scam you, people. You can't. You can't even imagine that. You can't. 
I have more than a fifty per, uh, fifty people are working here. You know, each and every one losers would be losers, shot. all of them. I mean, we are we are earning enough by scamming you people over the phone. I, I don't need to come in person though. But but why why do you do that? Just because you know this is the fastest way to you know earn the money by we are not coming down to your doorstep. But you know we are not doing the stuff like a terrorist, right? Right. That we are not just showing you the guns and telling you to just, you know, get out from your house here and just not stealing the money. We are just playing with our mind and we are just doing some mind games here. So you're doing you fucking bogus people going to the bank and withdrawing the money and give it to us. Right. So that's it's how it goes. And that's how so it's our it's our fault. Yes, that's your fault. Right. You it you're you yeah. have nothing to do with it. That's all we are doing here. We have more than 50 people are working here and we all do the same. And you feel good about it? I mean, I don't know. Yes, we we feel... Like you, f you feel good about, you know, calling uh, a, an old lady and taking her hard-earned life savings? If she's an old lady, what does she have to do with the money? If she's just going to die soon. <laughs> yeah, she could give it to her kids instead of some low-life piece of shit. No, but we we just want to have fun with getting some money, though. Oh, so it's fun for you? Yes, uh, kind of. And you don't feel guilty at all? No, we don't feel guilty. Why is that? Because, you know, that's the money which which going to give us some pleasure by spending it out. Some party mood, some, you know, some cars, some... some many things, you know, involved in that. What kind of car do you drive? It's out of your knowledge, dude. That, that's out of your thinking, dude. You can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine what kind of car you drive. Try me. Is it just, a rick? Just think. Is if it a rick? Is it a rickshaw? If you're listen, if you're earning more than you know, like a ten thousand dollars a day, you know. Yeah. Which car you you would love to have? So what do you drive? Like a like a Lamborghini? No, not Lamborghini. Like a Mercedes. Once, once, I'll, once I'll get you know, like a fifty thousand dollars a day, I would love to do that. I'd love to get one. Right. So what do you want? What are you, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting to come. I'm jerking off right now. What else you wanna do? You wanna do a phone sex? You yeah. Want let's me to be a girl. Yeah, do it. Be a girl. Do you think that you're spunky enough? Yeah. Do, be a girl. What are you wearing right now? Uh, like a skirt? What I, what am I wearing? Yeah. And no, dude, please. I'm just making a tea. <laughs> what? Just tell me what you're. You're just making a tea, so you're not wearing anything. No, I'm not wearing anything. Where are you located, honestly? What country? Honestly, we are in Dubai. Dubai. You're making mad money in Dubai. Yep. Tell me, how how many people give you money? Like, if, if we are just uh, dialing, you know, we have 50 people working here. So, you know, if each of them would be dialing for the couple of hundred people, like, you know, two or three hundred people. So, you know, if we are getting a callbacks, like a hundred of the callbacks each and every day. So we would be getting money from the people, like, you know, ten of them. And if the ten of those people are paying, like, you know, just like a two or three thousand dollars, then also we are up to around about a fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a day. And you split you split that amongst everybody? Not everybody. Th those all are working on the salary basis. They are getting salaries. Those that make the those that make the uh, the calls get the salaries, money. Salaries, 
Yes, yeah, some are on the incentives. Do you understand what what are called incentives? Yeah. Yo, really? Like commission. You're you're not that bastard. Yeah, you yeah. Understand though. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm not that dumb, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not that dumb. W what else you want to know? I want. Are you guys hiring? You really? Yes. You want to come and work here? Yeah. I could use a little sun. Get out of this cold weather. Uh huh. Do you think so that after you'll come to Dubai and you will come down to my office, you know, you'll be alive? Oh, are you threatening me? Yes, I'm threatening you. Do what you gotta do. You're like threatening my life. Like I so, if I went there, you would kill. You would kill me. You wouldn't give me a job. Yeah, but you know, we have a fifty of us. You know, would give you a blow job, but we won't give you a job. Oh, so you? Well, that's a that's not a bad deal. Would you yes. pay? Would you pay my flights? Just feel that you know, you have you have the fifty different dicks. You know, in front of your eyes. Oh, you, you have know? no women working some are, there. Some are the biggest. Some are you know the smaller. Some are the black. Some are the white. Some are the hairy. Some are the neat and clean. You know. Right. You and some are with you know with the pink cock. You know. You should fire the small ones. Oh no, man! I, I'm not gonna be pulling out of the chain, and I'm gonna see the 50 different different dicks for you, though. You can come and check it out. How about that? How How old are you? Hi, I'm 25 years old. 25 years old. Be, yes, I might be younger to you. That's all you do. I mean, you know, call in some random call centers. Yeah. And spending the time like this. That's right. Are you like on break right now? You seem to have a lot of time. Yes, we have the rest you know like nine or ten lines we can let our customer know to call on the other lines right You're, you call them customers yes the we call them customers there we know no, we know them as victims oh how long have you been in the scam artist business uh you can say personally about my experience from you know you can say from 2008 december and it's been 2015 we are going run uh, we are running with so it's been a uh, 7 years and how much money have you made well that's none of your business though well you said everything else you told me about your dick you been, told though we'll see uh, sometimes i've been uh, somewhere i've been working somewhere i was on the job somewhere i was in the partnership somewhere you know i mean you know there are some different criteria that i've worked with right but I never counted uh, the money that I earned. But if you can give me my calculation, the money that I spent, you know, that's that's also out of your knowledge, dude. Like I can't, e I can't even grasp it. You can, if you want to. Can you can you just give me money just just because you have so much? We don't have so much. If we would be having so much money, then why would be working over here? I mean, you know. We would uh, give out like you know holidays to our boys or something like that. We always need a ten or twenty thousand dollars a day. Right. You need you need twenty thousand. How we go? You need twenty thousand a day to live. Just give me five thousand. Go to your local Western Union. Just go to your local Western Union and and transfer me five thousand. Why would I do that? I don't know. Cause uh, we're hitting it off here. Mm-hmm. No one wanna give that. No one gonna do that though. Five hundred. Not at all. One Not a single penny. One thousand. Right. Well, you know what? Before before I took this phone call, I was feeling sleepy. But you know, after you bugger. So I helped. I helped you get through the day. Oh yeah. Wish me a good luck. 
and a God bless Canada. Keep calling, fuckers. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Take okay. care. Anything else? No. Sure. Thank you. Take care. All right. And there it is, inside the mind of one of these, as Mike Bennett would put it, fucking fucks. Hope you enjoyed that, and uh, look for many, many more of these. They'll be shorter. This one was a longer one because, again, the phone call was super long, and I just wanted to give you perspective. But, um, all right, let's get to my guest uh, today. Uh, Comedian Dave Martin, you've heard his name before on the podcast. He's come, uh, he's appeared by mention in the Darren Frost episode. He used to co-host Anything Goes on XM Satellite Radio with... Uh, Darren, and uh, he came up in that episode uh, more than a few times. He also came up in the Ron Vaudry episode. If you go back and listen to that, Ron ranted, went on one of his rants, and Dave was mentioned. Also in the most recent, uh, Sean Fisher, Sugar Jam, my buddy Sean. Uh, he, he mentions Dave because they mention, uh, they had a podcast uh, together, the Guilty Pleasures pod that eventually ended. Anyway, so it was about time that I have Dave in here and uh, talk, talk it out, get his side of things, because he's been mentioned so many times. Anyway, we get into it, we talk about comedy and life. It starts off with a little uh, racist talk, like as comedians we travel from town to town, and sometimes we're in really small towns, and sometimes we meet some racist rednecks that feel like because we're comedians, they can just come up and tell us the most vile shit ever. So we kind of start our, our chat. That, why am I telling you what you're going to hear? Just listen to it. All right, enjoy my chat now with Mr. Dave Martin. You and me below, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower, Julian Dion, comedy. I will get this out of the way right off the top. I know I look like the kind of guy that gets his picture in the newspaper because the police came and took away the hard drive of his computer. <laughs> Welcome to me in your neighborhood. Where's the girls' soccer team I can coach? I mean, I still enjoy fast food every once in a while. And uh, I try to avoid uh, A&W because uh, it's, it's probably the worst, you know? But the one thing I do like about AW is I like walking up to the counter and asking for two teams for six dollars. <laughs> I don't know if you've been on the internet, man, but that is a bargoon, man. You gotta get all over to the fucking Philippines, get a swirly face mask. I live in Toronto, though, and uh, I moved into an okay place. Uh, we got a, a neighbor that just lives right upstairs from us, and uh, she's very nice. But she has crazy, loud, violent porno sex, you know? And it's kind of amusing, but then after a while, it's kind of like, okay, man, stop with the fucking, right? But uh, it's almost like that wild, violent porno sex where you're not sure if you should jerk off or call the cops. <laughs> I uh, did a Comedy Now episode, uh, CTV uh, Comedy Now episode, uh, a while ago, like many, many years ago. It actually was, it was uh, shot in uh, uh, 2001, that's what it was. But we recorded it before the terrorist attacks of September 11th. But they didn't air it until after the terrorist attacks of September 11th. So they had to take a couple of jokes out, right? They had to take a couple of jokes out for, you know, sensitive people and shit. So uh, they had to take this joke out. Uh, tell me if you see one. They had to take this one out. 
Hey folks, do you want to know what I hate about the World Trade Center? It's still there. <laughs> you see, you see, how was I to know? There were so many warning signs. I do the joke and then boom, everyone. Sometimes comedians will always try to use like really stupid, shitty tricks to get the audience to applaud. Like they'll say this, it's like, hey, do we, are we a room full of proud Canadians tonight or what? Are we a room? Seals, right? I'm a reasonably proud Canadian. I don't think we celebrate our Canadian heroes as much as we should, right? And uh, that's why uh, I just found out that I'm going to get some government money to shoot my very first official Canadian porno movie. But the condition was that I had to make it, I had to sort of, uh, had to be inspired from one of our great, you know, Canadian heroes, right? So I'm going to call the movie Terry Fox. <laughs> a marathon of hump. He's gonna fuck his way across Canada, or however far he fucking made it, I don't know. I mean, there's research in all these Some fucking weirdo keeps... Yeah. Like, I met him at the Jake the Snake Roberts and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan show at Absolute, and I was wearing a Rowdy Roddy Piper t-shirt. It was the weekend right after he died. And he said, hey, you look like Roddy Piper a little bit. I was like, okay, thank you very much. And he was like, hey, can I get my photo with you? I was like, okay, well, that's kind of weird, but sure. And then he introduces himself. Oh, my name's Paul. I, uh, I fight parking tickets. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. I've had some good, some ups and downs with fighting parking tickets. He's like, well, hey, do you want to ever get together for a coffee? And I'm like, well, uh, I don't, you know, and, and you just, you meet so many weirdos from doing shows, and, and I guess just being a reasonably nice person, I was like, well, okay, here's my number, and then now I get these texts from the guy, and... Well, yeah, the setup to that just sounded like, um, yeah, you're bound to at least meet and keep talking with one or two weirdos from that. Well, I mean, I was just out in St. John's with uh, Andrew Albert and uh, doing shows, and we went out to a bar on the Friday night because I was just I was too burnt out. Uh, not burnt out. I just didn't. You know, you go out in St. John's a couple of times, and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, people get hammered and stumble around George Street. I don't need to do this again. And um, so we went to this pool ball, uh, pool hall down the street, and uh, the people there could, they could tell that we weren't, that this was not our neighborhood. We were from out of town, and so when they found out we were comics, and this happens a bunch of times that as soon as someone finds out you're a comic, they want to tell you a joke, and it always turns out that the jokes are racist, which I was just like okay, and uh, but it was just it was one of those moments of, and and, and then it got to the point where. I always find it very ballsy. It's it, it's it's idiotic and it's ballsy in some ways. But then just to assume that someone is a, a white guy that they're going to enjoy your uh, your your uh, your black jokes. I was just like, why do you think that we have this in common? Just because I'm you know reasonably the same skin tone as you that you that I'm gonna just go crazy. And the guy actually said in a direct quote, he said this to Andrew Albert. He's like, I got fucking tons of nigger jokes. And we were just looking at him going like, oh, do you? Yeah. And I've been on the road a lot, and, uh, and I know a lot of like tight-ass, like very uh, liberal social justice warriors might be like, well, you must have said something to him then, didn't you? And I was like, 
No. Right. No you pe- don't. You don't. I, 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 this guy, guy has lived in St. John's for his entire life. This is his bar. Uh, he's been racist for long enough. And when you're not around other black people or you're not around other racists, you don't races of people you don't see the effects of racism that's right right? yeah so it's just like i'm not gonna about to try to change this guy's opinion right now i'm just gonna smile and nod and go like okay all right and honestly you know what kind of bothered me uh most was the a a they were racist jokes and b i'd heard them before 30 years ago (laughs) and i was like there was and then as soon as he said the punchline as soon as he said the setup of the jokes i was like oh my god holy shit i know the punchline of this right and then it was like oh my god i know the punchline of this one too you know and and it was like one of those like psychotherapist moments where they uh, unlock some demon from your past and i know the punchlines to every one of these racist jokes and i don't know if i was more upset that they were old racist jokes or they were racist jokes in the first place fucking hack but yeah that is a syndrome of small towns because i grew up in a small town yeah. where there were literally like maybe three black people out of like i don't know seventy thousand maybe in moncton and i would hear these jokes all the time from people that may or may not have a racist bone in their body you know what i mean they but were to just them like, they're just jokes they're just jokes well horrible jokes and this happened to me and i think we get that now because we're comics and so combined being a comic and in a small town it happens actually more often than none like it happened i think i was in deep river ontario with uh doing a show at a legion and Uh, this guy came up after the show he was like oh man great show yeah i loved it loved it uh and he referred to black people as shit-skinned colored people. Yeah, yeah. And I could, I was fucking shocked. I, right. I couldn't believe it. But that just, it, it's just, it has a definite syndrome of small towns. Um, so, yeah. It was just, and I was just astonished. And then, like, you know, for a while, I was able to just sort of smile and nod. And then, you know, Andrew and I played like three games of pool. And then we were paying up, and Andrew was sort of like, Hey man, do you want to stick, do you want to have another beer? And this guy that started the racist jokes with us was you know, by the bar, and it was just more. It was just one after another after another. And then I was just I was getting to that boiling point where I was just like, I got to get the fuck out of here, or I am going to say something to this guy. Right. And almost I almost kind of wanted to warn him, just be like, you better watch your mouth around because you're not going to meet a. The next person you say that to might not be like a friendly, you know. Okay, you're well, you're, yeah. you're a small town racist, and I get it, indie, you know, guy who's just gonna let you walk on by. Next time you're gonna meet someone who is going to take a stand, and it's those kind of situations where, like, I know not to take a stand against a guy like that. A, because he's just naive and stupid, and also B, if 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 it turned into a fight. Uh, the other people in the bar are not going to be on my side, and if a cop shows up, there's a very good chance that this racist guy that at the pool hall, his brother or cousin or someone who he knows is the cop that shows up. Yeah, it's and a guess tough guess what side he's going to be on? Not mine, not the and exactly, uh, you know, not the liberals. Fucking grew up in smart ass Toronto city kid. Yeah, and, and you're not going to change anybody's. You're not going to shift any paradigms. Right. Having a drunk conversation with a guy in a bar afterwards. So it's like, it's it's. It sucks, but you almost have to just bite your tongue because the real only way that these people would learn is by an ass whooping because that's how they deal with shit in small towns, right? Yeah. So you're not going to intellectually motivate the guy to change his ways. I mean, it would take a lot. And again, you're drunk in a bar or talking to this drunk in a bar. What's the point almost? Well, yeah, it's not... 
you know, it's not like he's going to walk away from after anything that I said going like, hey, you know what? That guy's right. I should be more open-minded <laughs> yeah. to other people yeah. uh, from different cultures and, and, and different you know, places around have, the world. He's just going to think you have a bad sense of humor. Well, yeah. Or no, he's going to be like, oh, that fucking goddamn comedian. Who the fuck does he think he is? Oh, I know what... Fu- I know back what, to Toronto. Oh, I know what funny is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and it's... Uh, but, I mean, thank God I was with uh, Andrew because uh, I know some guys, um, like when I... You know, you Sean Fisher, who was a guest of yours recently. Uh, if I was with him, I don't know, Sean. Like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Sean's not as street savvy, in my opinion, as myself. And Sean would probably say something, and it would probably turn pretty ugly pretty quick. Uh, and I, I was just one of those, like, oh, just get, let's get out of here because this is not. I'm not. I can't handle this yeah. with a smile for too long. Well, hey, let's just get right into it, I guess. Um, so usually I come back, well, I have come back from uh, one of your stand-up clips. And that, of course, is my guess uh, that we just heard there. You were you looked shocked when I said stand-up well, clips. Well, because I, I don't know which one you played. <laughs> well, well, we haven't decided okay. yet. We'll do that in post. The magic of post. But he's here now. He sits in front of me in Levin Press Studios. I know this guy from uh, back in the day when I first started, which we'll get into the first time we met. Uh, you've seen this guy. He's been at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, the Winnipeg Comedy festival as well on the cbc there also he's got a very acclaimed comedy now special actually your special was one of the the better ones that to ever come out of that that franchise like and one of the highest rated one uh mutual friend aaron berg told me uh when we were living in new york it's one of those weird moments where like all all the planets seem to align i love your special they uh it, you know what I, i'm happy that uh, i still like it i still i don't want i don't you know go back and watch it but i uh i still like it it's something that i'm still proud of uh and i'm I'm glad that I don't have one of those Club 54 sets from the 90s that's floating around that I'm like right. cringe right. at. Because, you know, you used to, just, you know, when the Comedy Network would run that, that shit, you'd see like, you know, you'd see an old Chuck Byrne or Ron Jossel clip and it was like, oh man, that's. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, these guys are great, but it's just like that's in circulation forever. I love your, uh, my one of my favorite bits from that special is the nonconformist McDonald's. Which, uh, you know uh, what? Uh, I found, like, I, I started doing that joke and I think I did it on the special. And then uh, a, maybe a week later, I saw Mitch Hedberg do the exact same joke. Oh no way! Uh, on uh, one of that, they had like a show. It was on, I think, after Saturday Live for a while. It was like Comedy Showcase, hosted by Louis Anderson, right? And Mitch Hedberg was on it, and um, and he did the he did this a similar joke, basically the same sort of like non-participating McDonald's joke. And right. it was one of those moments where I'm just like. You know, it's, it's one of those weird things. It's like, I know I wrote it. I know I wrote it without seeing him. And I know that, of course, he never saw me. Right. But you just, you got to do it. Yeah, so. it's just one of those parts of the elements of the business, the parallel thinking that just sometimes it just kind of sucks. Well, uh, if you see it on a commercial, and if it's if the disclaimer at the bottom says, at participating McDonald's only, you know, you got to think, I can't be the only person that has ever noticed that and ever thought that up. I mean, that's I mean, that's one of the th- nice things about stand up in the first place. And I'll play uh, I'll try to find that clip of the, that bit. I'll drop it in. I'm not going to ask you to do it because that's uncomfortable. But uh, just so the listener. Oh, fuck. I keep dropping my pen. That's all right. Just so that the listeners know uh, what we're talking to. I'll uh, drop uh, that bit. 
I, I, haven't, I haven't eaten at this restaurant in a while, but uh, I always love it whenever I catch a McDonald's commercial on TV. Because the thing about it is, like, it doesn't matter what McDonald's is trying to sell to you. At the bottom of every single McDonald's commercial, it always says the same thing. At participating McDonald's only. Man, I want to go to one of these McDonald's that has decided not to participate. You know, one of these badass, non-conformist, rebel McDonald's. One of these McDonald's that has just said, hey, screw you, you corporate ass-kissing McDonald's. We're the little guys over here. We're the independent guys. We're the, we're the, we're the working man's McDonald's. We're not going to play your games anymore. We're not going to take it, you know? You go into a McDonald's like that, they're still selling the uh, Big McRib sandwich, and they got a pizzas and salad bar and the old styrofoam containers. And... You know, where you put your fries in one half of your sandwich. You know, you know how it goes. Yeah, you go up to the counter, they're like, yeah, you want to smile? That's eight bucks, asshole. None of this giving smiles away from free horse shit anymore. Smiles cost everybody. It's like, yeah, here's your shamrock shake and your arctic orange. Now get the hell out of here. Or may I supersize your malt liquor jug? I'll light your smoke for you. Uh, he was also the co-host. You've heard his name before on the show. He's, it's, his name has come up a few times, which we'll also address. Uh, he was the co-host of um, the former uh, Anything Goes on XM Sirius Satellite Radio with Darren Frost and also the co-host of uh, also now defunct yeah. <laughs> uh, Guilty Pleasures Podcast. I have which... a big graveyard of podcasts that I've been a part of, and also the Corktown Radio Podcast. Corktown Radio that Podcast I, from that we started in 2007 mm-hmm. with Derek Thompson, Paul Irving, and Andy Borman, uh, and Earl the Squirrel was our sound man at that uh, when we recorded that over at the Dominion. That was the first one that I did, and then then the XM one, and then the Guilty Pleasures one. Well, he's here, everybody. Dave Martin is my guest. Thanks for uh, stopping by, brother. Thanks for having me, man. I, uh, I, I, I love coming and doing these things. Yeah, well, I've been meaning I, to have you. Uh, we've been chatting back and forth for a long time now. Just the, the one thing about the, the Comedy Now taping that I did, I knew that like they wanted us to do 45 minutes, and but I knew that there was always a chance that they would um, end up just using 22 of it and making a half hour. So I intentionally did a bunch of, like, a lot of jokes that I thought would never make it into the special. And then when I found out that they were using the whole hour um, and I watched it, I was surprised with some of the stuff that they ended up putting on there and letting me get away with. Because there was a a couple of jokes there where swearing, I didn't swear, but content-wise, I was surprised. And I think even content-wise... I don't know if I could have gotten away with those jokes like, you know, ten, eight years later when the they were still making that TV show. Right. Uh, just the, I mean, there was a joke about a, a, a chick uh, giving birth to a baby in a toilet, uh, which came from a, which was an actual news story. And I remember watching it with my girlfriend at the time and her roommate, and then the joke made it to air, and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't think that they would do that one. Because there was a couple, there was about five or six bits that I thought, okay, well, I'll just do these, and they'll cut them out. But... Uh, they didn't, and I was amazed. So I was happy with that. Yeah, well, it turned out to be a great uh, hour special and something to have under your belt that, uh, well, it's still in circulation. It still pops up every once in yeah. a while. Yeah, those and things stay around for a long, long time. I know it's like it's like a it's like young girls doing porno movies as they do not go away. 
If you saw that doc, did you see that documentary about Hot Girls Wanted? About I saw parts yeah. of it. I didn't see the whole thing, but yeah, that's yeah. fucking. It's... It changed my perception of porn. Also, I like I always I knew it wasn't the best. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't all those wonderful happy stories that come from right. girls doing porn. I'm just like, oh, this led to this led to my sitcom on NBC and but my mainstream s- movies. Right, right. But when you see that uh, some girls, it's kind of like an impulse decision, and they're motivated by the money. And it's really not in them, and it's really just again, just an impulse sort of thing. And then they end up being doing it, even just for a few months. They're fucked. But that's out there forever. Forever, yeah. They're right? fucked when it comes to future employment. When it comes to so many things. Yeah, and it's not again. It's not like a. It's not like a shitty appearance on the Mike Bullard show or right. Adventures in Comedy with Elvira Kurt. It's not. It's <laughs> not. You know. I mean. And it made it. Uh, it just made it so. Because they show like the making of scenes and stuff like that, it just strips away all the sexuality out of it, and it becomes kind of math, and it's like gross math. Right. At one point, she's like, "Oh, like her pussy hurts," and she, she's not even enjoying it, and the scene's going on too long, and it's just like, "Oh, fuck, poor people!" Like Jesus, this is awful. Well, yeah, I mean, and the fact that they're so young and they don't know. They don't, you know, when you know when you are that young, you just you don't think that far into the future. Someone you offers you two grand for an hour's work or two hours work. It's like, yeah. Sure. Well, and also the logic behind of like, well, I'm gonna have sex anyways. Yeah, but you know, I mean, do you want this to be out there forever? And they don't have a concept of whatever of like, you know, some guy making their face look like a hockey mask at the end of a scene just from, you know, ugh, it's just. It, it, I mean, it was all young girls too. It's all girls like in their you know nineteen, yeah. eighteen, nineteen, yeah. which is not even my genre of porn that I that I find that I drift towards. What's your genre? Point. What do you drift towards? Uh, well, you know what? It's always <sighs> some people find this weird though too. I usually like to watch just very normal scenes uh, between uh, uh, a man and a woman, and the woman usually has. Uh, some quality of an ex-girlfriend of mine. I always and it's it's it, to me it's logical that you would watch a film that you could sort of pretend that you're in, you know. So I don't watch interracial stuff. I don't watch stuff that of like teens. I look like I, I watch stuff that I think yeah that could be me. Right. I mean you know I mean take the whole you know cock math out of it and stuff like that. But I'm like that looks like I could be uh, yeah that that looks like I have a chance with possibly her that I could do that you know that could I could follow through with that and does it affect anything if it's like really well produced like if it's with real porn stars or do you prefer like the more amateur angle where it seems like even more realistic like oh she kind of looks like my ex and I kind of this kind of looks realistic it's bad lighting it's kind of um you know what? I don't like it to be too. I don't like a lot of dialogue. You know, the, I know that the, and maybe some guys joke around about it. Say, yeah, I like a good story. I was like, really? You do? I, I know. It's just to me. It's just you know, f- find a clip. Find look. Find a thumbnail clip that you like. Tap. You know, tap on it. Uh, watch. Do your business. Get it over with, and then get back to watching. You know, Law and Order or Ray Donovan or you know, True right. Detective or something genuinely good that I'm watching. So, Are you into Ray Donovan? I love Ray Donovan. Yeah, I, I hear love good too. things. I gotta get. I gotta watch that show. It's it's uh, it's a fucked up family dynamic sort of show that it's just it's a it's really and you're kind of rooting for the bad guys in it, and even though you know that they have a heart of gold, but it's just a. Yeah, it's a really, really yeah, well done show, and I love it. Uh, and John Voight is in it, and right. Lee Schreiber is great, and it's really, really, really well done. Luch was telling me about it when we were in Vegas, and uh, I got to get into it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the first time we met, 
it was back in Moncton. Okay. You, you're about to get into it before the podcast, and I said, uh, wait till we get on mic. Well, I listened to another podcast uh, that you did, uh, and uh, and you were talking about your early days in in Ottawa, and then I was just like, oh, I remember Moncton, though. Yeah, so. Moncton was before Ottawa. I started in Moncton. I, I always wanted to do stand-up. I never knew how the hell I would ever get into it, because nothing awesome or fun ever happens around these parts, Moncton, mm-hmm. I'm talking about. I'm talking to you, Moncton. <laughs> and... Uh, Back then, and then I saw this ad in the paper of Yuck Yucks opening, and I, I couldn't actually believe it. And uh, so that's where I started, and that's where I met you. So there, and the club stayed open for about a year and a half. So that's where I got my first year and a half start. Was there, and there were barely any, uh, you know, amateurs. So there was a tons of stage time, and I had a car, so I would drive headliners around to do these one nighters and do fifteen oh, minutes, yeah. which I didn't have. I had maybe two, and. A, so I really cut my teeth that way. But I remember the first night we met, you were sitting in the back of the club. Uh, as, as, yeah, as, as every comic as should. As every comic does, or should, as opposed to the front row. And um, I've had that before. I was hosting a show in, in Windsor once, and there was a guy doing a guest set, and I hadn't met him before the show. I didn't even know if he was there, and I'm on stage, tiny, tiny crowd, and I, I read his name off, and then he, this guy just gets up out of the front <laughs> row, does his set, doesn't do remarkably well, um and then his set he finishes his set and he gets off the stage and then he sits back down in the front row. It was the weirdest thing. I've just, seen that with like really really new yeah, yeah new comics. You know they don't know any other comics so they feel you know uncomfortable if they are in the back of the room and they just kind of so they sit with their friends or um but yeah you were sitting in the back of the room and it was I think the first night that you were there was on the Wednesday which was the like our amateur night. Oh yeah 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 no I remember I hosted the amateur night. Yeah. I don't know if you were you on that one? I can't remember. Um because I think it might have was it Kate Davis myself and Mark Sove? Yep. Okay. Uh and I remember watching David I don't know if you were honestly remember this or not. I watched David Letterman the night before and Jim Carrey was on. And he did the bit about uh, CSI Miami and taking the glasses off. And I don't know if you want me to say this, but you say it. you did the exact you did that joke on stage of taking the glasses off and uh, doing the whole CSI no, Miami. I I did the opposite where I would put them on. Okay, right. And I think yeah, Jim Carrey did the same thing. But same I had th- been doing it already. That was one of my first jokes I ever wrote, and it okay. was one like we just talked about off the top. It was like parallel thinking. Like, right, right, right. I would never consciously because I was a huge fan of comedy, and it's one of those things where you, when you get into comedy, your ability doesn't match your taste right and i didn't know someone told me after there's like jim carrey did that csi thing and i, I think i never did it after that but right well no i because i remember you you yeah uh, you did it or you did a bit similar enough to it and i remember i think i said to mark sove i was like i saw jim carrey on the uh, on tv last night doing the exact same thing and uh and then mark was like yeah oh, yeah and i was like does does he know that you're not supposed to do that and he was like yeah and then i don't and then mark sove was like yeah 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 i'll tell him something and then, so I don't, I didn't act, talk to you directly, so I don't know what Mark said, but uh, it was, it, it was one of those weird moments because um, that you know parallel, a parallel thinking. But I've met a lot of comics who start off by thinking that it's totally okay to if you see someone. Not so much now because there's such, you know, I mean, 
I mean, now there's social media, and then there's more, more comics around Facebook, and then that's, yeah. it's it's sort of it's taught a lot earlier that you and, don't and do not, that, right? And not just comics, but there's such a culture of comedy nerds out there watching right, yeah. everything that yeah, you can't do that. But yeah, when you start, some people, I mean, when you start. You you kind of do that, but that was not the case. This because I'd been doing it for like weeks before yeah. that. Just kind of like it was just a thing. It was a stupid stupid bit, but you know I was like uh, brand. Well, some new. people still do that same bit, right? Of uh, you know like hey, you know taking the but he a the, I don't think the TV show's on anymore, and B you know it's right. A, a lot of people do that, but I mean that was like back what two thousand seven or something. Yeah, two thousand six, I believe. But but. No, it would have been 2007, I think, because I think that was my first East Coast okay. tour was 2007. I remember that because it was the same year that Last Comic Standing was doing auditions in Montreal. And I remember flying over to, to uh, Halifax or Moncton with uh, Kate Davis and being like, are you upset that we're not auditioning right. for... And then, then uh, the next year, they Last Comic Standing came to Toronto, and both Kate and I were on that show. So it was a little bit of a... It went full circle. But yeah, that happened to me a few times. Like, it happened with that. And as soon as someone told me, obviously I stopped. Right. Uh, and I also used to do this stupid thing about... Um, at what age do people start uh, like doing this when they eat peanuts where you shake like you you kind of toss them around in your hand you know what i mean like it's such an old guy thing yeah. and letterman literally did that in his monologue so i stopped that and it was all all on letterman <laughs> things that but i would do them before and then once i would find out yeah. and another joke i used to open with um you know they say live every day like it's your last so i've been crying a lot <laughs> and uh, Nick Griffin came out on Letterman and did the exact joke, and and I, and again I was doing those before, and then people would tell me. Actually, the guy who told me that was Mike Kaplan, who's just on America's Got Talent. I was I was in a little room in New York, and I did the line. He's like, "Oh yeah, Nick Griffin just opened with that on Letterman last night," and I was like, "All right, done. Like I'm never doing it again." But I mean, that is something that you learn because a lot of people are sort of like, "Yeah, well, musicians do other people's songs." And you're like, yes, but it's not the same. And then why is it different? Right. Well, it's different because, you know, and then you get it on that comedy bullshit. Right. And speaking of Mark Sove, he wanted to do a covers night. He's like, musicians do it. He wanted to just have all comics go up and do fame, like go up, do Sam Kennison or to go up, do, which again, it's just something you don't do in comedy. Well, I, I, there was a show in Toronto, uh, it was called Other People's Stuff where, you know, yeah, they, I mean, they, that was the premise of the show. You went up and you did other people's stuff. And I remember I said yes to it and I felt so guilty. I did one Bill Hicks joke and then I just started doing my own material because I, I was, uh, you know, and I did like a six minute set and then I, I just did one Bill Hicks joke and then I did all, the rest of the stuff was mine. And just after doing that one joke that didn't belong to me, I was like, I can't do this. Right. Like it really felt like, it felt, I don't know, it felt like cheating on a girlfriend yeah. that, that I felt bad about, you know. Yeah, it does feel weird because comedy is such a, like, especially good comedy is so, t like, the, the bits or the experiences are so tattooed to each performer's, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you talk about real shit. Right, yeah. Like, how could you possibly go and do and do that Like, mm -hmm. as another person? Yeah, I mean, there's a difference if you're just expressing someone else's thought that you're you're expanding on. But if you're taking someone else's, like, life experience and expanding on it or just doing it verbatim, and you just, I don't, I don't know how you sleep at night doing that. Yeah, that's weird. But I do remember meeting you the first time, and I remember feeling like you were really nervous. 
I might I might have been maybe because it was a new club or something like uh, that. Probably because it was a new club and uh, um, I might have been just. Well, it was my actually it was my first tour. It was my first time on the oh, road, was so it was okay, my first time right. yeah. being out of Toronto. That'll do it. Uh, and so, you know, now I now I realize that like jokes and comedy are just fairly universal. Uh, and you know what your stuff that you do here should play there. You know, people are the same where people are the same wherever you go, man. But it's like. Um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't. Yeah, I would agree that I was probably nervous. I just remember you asking so many questions. You're like, "How are they here? How's the crowd? How?" And uh, and then, but when you went on well, I'm on up on stage, I'm like, "What? Well, what was this guy nervous about? Like, you were a clear pro up there. You know what I mean?" Right. Well, I think that I think anytime I go somewhere new, it just like I think I mean you know if I was hosting, I'd have I always have jokes that like you know, insert local town here right. to make fun of, insert shitty strip club, insert shitty pickup joint bar. So I, if I was asking questions like that, then it was probably just like I'm trying to just fill in the bits to make it look like I've been here before or I've, you know, walked around this town and I've noticed, you know, certain shit. But So if 2007 was your first tour, what, when did you get in the game? Oh, my God. I don't know how honest you want me to get. Be honest. Uh, my very, very, very first time up on stage was at the Laugh Resort, uh, November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety two. Wow. Yes. Uh, but I only, but I was in school at that time at the Ontario College of Art uh, before it became the Ontario College of Art and Design, um, and so, but I only did sets like every couple of months, and I didn't take it. I didn't take it seriously at all. It was just sort of something fun that I could do for to get attention. And uh, I mean, I'd always loved stand up and comedy and such. But but yeah, and at that point, you know, the Laugh Resort was, uh, you know, there was there were just there were almost no comedy venues in Toronto, and you could get up every week. And so, but I wasn't really taking advantage of that. I just I just I got up a couple times, you know, every couple months. And but it wasn't until. I'd say around 96 or something, I took it. And then once I graduated from college, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll take this a little bit more seriously now. And then I started getting up, you know, every trying to get up every weekend or a couple of times a week and really, really tried to make this something. And then 2001, I did the comedy now. And then after that, I was sort of like, okay, well, then now... It was just weird. I mean, up until then, up until 2001, it was just amazing that I, I would just stumble upon stuff. And uh, and comedy was just kind of different. It wasn't as huge. It didn't. I never really treated it as like a real business. It was just something like, oh, this is fun and I'm kind of good at this. And then um, the sort of the more, you know, uh, industry gratification that I got, the more I was sort of like, oh, well, maybe I can do something more with this than just a, a place to hang out. You know, I just, because I, I was like, I really... Like, you know, you kind of, I felt lost. I didn't have a lot of friends and, you know, just showing up to a club, it was instantly like, oh, here's a bunch of misplaced, and I, maybe, I don't know if someone said this before, but misplaced misfits that don't fit in anywhere else. And I got this one thing in common with them is doing love of comedy. And I was just like, oh, wow, I got a whole new circle of people without even realizing it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Paul Haywood was I got one of the first guys I and Rodney Pentland, first guys I started with. And uh, and then gradually just, you know, I got to know more and more people. And it was uh, it became a, a fun hobby. And, you know, <laughs> it was like that for a long, long time. Are you from here? Are you from Toronto? 
yeah, from uh, uh, born and raised, born and raised in Toronto, uh, which was it's kind of like a weird place to start because most everyone I know is uh, from somewhere else and started somewhere else and went from a small pond to a bigger pond. And but I I started here and it was I don't know if I would suggest for someone to start in a place like Toronto because um, you you know back then you know you still could get on stage almost you know a couple of times a week and you felt like a working comic even though you know you weren't playing clubs all that much and you weren't making any money but you still felt well i'm getting up on stage every night this must be what comedians do and then you were sort of like oh well no comedians should also get paid for what they do as well and uh but i started working for yucks around 97 98 but just doing spots and uh, i mean that was also the heyday of spirits and i mean yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that, those were maybe the golden years of Spirits. I wouldn't right. necessarily say it was the, the heyday of it. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Spirits was definitely like, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun time back then. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's back then, you know, we would stay until the lights turned up at two o'clock in the morning. Right. You know, I don't even think Spirits does that now. Right. Uh, people have gotten older and, you know, people have, you know, people actually have comedy-related jobs and things to do, but you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was fun back then. But it definitely wasn't. You, a lot of people didn't take it seriously enough to a point where I was like, I want to make this my living. Right. We just happened to be like, hey, if this happens to become some, something that I do, great. But, when did uh, when did you do the next big thing? Oh, the NFB documentary that yeah. started in two thousand. No, that started in two thousand, and they wrapped it up around. 2002 because your comedy now is part of that documentary yeah that's actually when i realized how much like how uh undocumented wasn't a true documentary they did some very creative editing in that is that right um yeah they made it look like uh there was um they made it look like that on the night that i killed on my commie now they made it look like christine bombed at yuck yucks the same night for and she was auditioning for, for she montreal was aud- or something like yeah that. Right. and she ended up getting montreal and going to montreal but as far as them telling a story because that it was supposed to be a, a two-hour documentary let's then- let's set it up the next big thing was a documentary that came out with yourself um, uh, jason rouse jason rouse christine von hagen shama jumder nikki Lord. payne Yes, and Laurie Elliott. Laurie Elliott. And um, it was, and it's, you know, I mean, it makes me kind of, it gives me douche chills and cr- it makes me kind of cringe when, when, you, when you hear the name, uh, the next big thing. Right. But it was supposed to be five people trying to become the next thing, not a documentary proclaiming that we are the next big thing. And it was supposed to show a struggle. And um, oh, that's what I got from it when I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Well, you know what's weird is like that DVD has stayed at the Montreal Comedy Nest um, condo for the longest time, and so comics would go and crash at the condo, and they'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" So I don't know how many comics a would come up to me and go, "Hey, I mean, I just saw that documentary you were in. I didn't know you went out with Christine von Hagen," and because uh, there's an awkward moment in that where you you know where they do again some creative editing when you get to watch Christine and I sort of break up uh, on camera, but also there's another clip earlier in that where uh, I guess the camera crew is uh, and the you know the camera guys are sort of like you know they're asking us questions while christine and i are on the couch together and uh, they're sort of like well what what happens if one of you becomes really famous and i'm and i very quickly go oh she's gonna leave me in a second and uh so it's it was fun to do but um i thought they i thought they 
they could have done more with it or at least a flashback to go 10 years. But they did it in three parts and they wanted to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it you know, in their own opinions, it made sense for them to look like, hey, I was... I was the, you know, the, the one rising up in the first episode. And then, you know, then I sort of fade out in the second and third one. Uh, and then it turns more into Shama Jundar and Christine and story about them going to LA and, you know, being on. So was it. And, that, and Jason Rouse's as well. Did it air on TV? Like, it, was it, it a multi-part it, series sort of thing? It aired on the Biography Channel in the States. And then it aired on, across Canada. Um Maybe it was on the CBC. I know it was on TV Ontario. So, and it maybe it, it showed up in a couple other places. But I think probably it probably got the most views from comics hanging out at the <laughs> condo at the Comedy Nest in Montreal. I watched it in New York uh, against Christine's advice. She fucking hates that DVD, right? And and it was she, she had she ends up looking okay in it though. Oh I yeah, totally. That well, I know. I, it took me a while to tell her I watched her after I watched her. She was on the road. We were roommates in New York, and she had two copies. One still sealed, and yeah. one was open. And I was like, oh my god, let's watch this. And we watched, <laughs> we watched it. And I, I like, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But the way she was talking about it, it was like this horrendous thing. Well, cause the fact that like that I'm. I'm doing my comedy now that night, and yeah, they made it look like she bombs and and uh, at, yeah, they go at back Yucks. and forth from clip to clip, right? Just because they show us breaking up earlier, mm-hmm. and then, um, but what actually happened that night was like I'm at the studios at the Masonic Temple to tape the comedy now. Christine phones me, and then you know I think they might have had uh, on speakerphone as well, and they filmed it, but it shows me having this very lovely conversation with uh, Christine back and forth and her being very encouraging and her just, oh, you're going to have a great show tonight. You know, don't worry what the audience reacts to, but you're going to do great. Uh, You're going to have a, it's going to be a great show. Don't worry about a thing. And uh, just act like you're killing the whole time. And again, I was very lucky that I had one of the audiences just just was, came out and like, I don't know where they flew them in from. And literally while I was taping that coming out, it was a part, it was a moment in my head where I was like, Okay, I'm getting punked because this is it. Never goes this well for right. me. I I honestly thought at a certain point they're going to be like, okay, we just pulled this. It was like the most elaborate just for laughs gags you could ever imagine. <laughs> but um, was the breakup real on camera? Was that actual? Did you guys actually break up on camera? Um, I don't. Yeah, I think so. I think well, I mean, non, I think it was something that we kind of both knew was was coming. Right. And uh, but then I think there's like just yeah, there's an awkward moment where. I think the two of us are sitting together and uh, like I said, I haven't probably watched it in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I do remember that uh, moment from it as well. Yeah. yeah. I remember you get your $3,000 check from comedy now. I think it was three grand, something like that. And you're like, I'm going to go buy weed. <laughs> oh, I think I said, yeah, now I'm going to go get high. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sort of like, uh, well, I think I probably already had weed on me, so I don't know if there was any purchases I needed to make. But Let's talk about that, because I get into it with every guest about this, because, again, I preface it by saying we're in a business where we're often paid by, with uh, alcohol or drugs. Or I've been, pa- I've, You know what? I've, well, I've been given drink tickets before, um, and other than weed cookies, I've never actually been like, hey, man, I can't pay you, but here's a bag of weed. Or, or here's some Coke. Or here's some... I've never been paid in... I've never been offered to be paid in Coke, but... Um, uh, and, which is something that I wouldn't even uh, look forward to, anyways. But uh, 
I remember it was like I think it was like Tony Crollo once. I think I was smoking a joint with him, and he was like, he was like, hey man, I had no idea that you smoke pot, and I was like. I was like Tony. I, I I did I did like you know six minutes on pot jokes, just a couple of, you know just when I was on stage. Of course I would. I mean, who has jokes about marijuana smoking that does not actually smoke marijuana? It, right. was, just, it was always you know you know if if a guy has a bunch of jokes about like you know banging hookers, he's probably banged a bunch of hookers. You know, there's only so much you can read that would give you that insight <laughs> unless you had actually done that shit. You know, it's sort of like you know. Any any time a comic has a lot of knowledge about something, they probably have. Yeah, you know. So watch out for the you know first hand. Like, yeah, exactly. Like well, if someone's got a lot of dead hooker jokes, they probably be right. yeah are confessing to something a little bit on stage. Uh, and uh, where are you with with uh, like? Do you drink a lot? Do you smoke a lot? How, like how do you find it helps? Do you find it oh, hinders shit. you? Um, I I probably I don't um. I don't smoke the way I used to, and I don't drink the way I used to. Uh, I've curved it down a lot in the last two years. Um, but, you know, um, you know, every once in a while I'll still have, you know, too much. I'll still go a little out of control, but not the way I used to be. And what was weird was probably when I was at my worst as far as uh, drinking and drugging was probably uh, the time when I was probably getting the... Uh, I was getting, you know, a significant amount of sort of industry gratification. Right. And so it's it's hard to make that sort of uh it's 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 weird. You know, when someone's hitting rock bottom, they could be like, "Oh, nothing's going on for me. I got to make a change." But you know, if you're still getting if you're still touring regularly and you're still getting the odd radio thing and the odd TV thing and things are happening for you and you're still doing Wise probably too much shit, you you don't become aware of like, "Oh, maybe this is something I shouldn't do." Right. It's like only when it when only when you see it affecting you that poorly. Or that much, you're sort of like, oh, I should probably cut this out. Were you ever a wake and baker or, or anything? Only if I'd committed to doing nothing else that day. And, right. Uh, but no, I've never been a I've never been a big wake and baker just because I find that like it's just the, the day becomes a write off. I always looked at the you know for the most part I always looked at, at pot as something um, as a reward. You know, or uh, I've always been a big subscriber to the George Carlin method of just you know you you know you write for an hour. You know, take a half hour break. Uh, you know, smoke half a joint. Go rewrite. back, go back to it, and then you start punching stuff up. Rewrite. Um, but uh, you know, I, I do. You know, I do think that you know, um, pot, you know, does open up some creative doors for you. Absolutely, and loosens yeah. you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've never been. I've. I think I've been high on stage mm, three times. The first time uh, I did it, this is a million years ago. Uh, first time I did it, uh, the, my, I had an amazing set. And uh, second time I did it, I bombed horribly. And you know, if you're on stage and it's just you know, pot has a habit of just intensifying anything that's already going on at that time. Mm-hmm. So when you start bombing and you're high, it feels like you're really bombing. Like, <laughs> oh my god, this is the most horrible thing in the world. Um, so I bombed my second time. Then the third time I did it, I bombed again. And that's when I realized, okay, shit, this is something I can't do. So if it's a day, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing a set at Spirits, uh, I won't smoke at all during the day. Um, and I won't drink before I go on. 
and uh, I'll go, you know, I'll have a, a couple beers and a joint maybe afterwards to relax, to be That's like... That's pretty good uh, uh, control. To be like, like, yay. Discipline. Yes, I had a good set. All right. Yeah. And then, you know, you, it's, it's the old thing of like, yay, I'm celebrating because I had a good set. Or if I bombed, I'd be like, oh, I'm medicating because I, I just this. bombed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, I think the... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think pot does, you know, open some doors. Uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think well, co- I mean, cocaine's the worst. I've never, you know, no, you know, it, it energizes some people, uh, uh, but it also makes some people that you know. I mean, Robin Williams always said, you know, whenever he would do coke, it was he became like a more of an introvert. Like he would sort of like you know cave in, and he would become like the quiet guy in the room, as opposed to when he wasn't on it, he would be like energetic you and bouncing like the guy off the on walls. coke in the room, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, and. Uh, I think there were there were scripts that like I remember like both John Belushi and Sam Kinison were working on, you know, at the height of their sort of drug use and when they were all coked up and apparently it's like, you know, people would come around and they read their scripts and be like, Oh my god, this is the most unfunny thing in the world. And I think I did it as a joke on the comedy now. I said the the only thing you were inspired to do uh when you're on cocaine is or every idea that you get on cocaine always involves more cocaine. Always. Yeah, yeah, it's not something, and you know, you have that, you know, there's those, uh, you know, there are those, you know, four or five hours between one in the morning and six where everything is completely clear. You got everything figured out, man, and then, you know, then then you fall asleep and then you read whatever notes you wrote the night before with the, you know, some guy that won't shut up about his new guitar or something like that, and then you're (laughs) like, oh my God, we got to throw this stuff out. This is not, this is not worth working on again. What about when you're on the road? Let's say, would you like wake and bake if you had a show at night? on the road or not even at all no because i remember i was working with like an older comic and he was like smoking he smoked like a couple of joints on his way to the show and i'll admit that once or twice i would take a pull off of it but uh i never wanted to be in a position where i was like i need this to be on stage is that ron vaudry Yes, yeah, that's Ron Vaudry. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, you know, and the one or two other comics were just like they would have a joint on the drive to the gig, right. and I really was not, you know, I would take a, a poll, but that would be it. Um, just yeah, it would look cool. No, it was it was just I thought, oh, this isn't going to hurt, but um, but this was also after I'd sort of gotten, I felt confident enough to get on stage with a mild buzz, but not like I know guys that would just get fucking ripped before they went on, and it's just like. You know, unless it's going to make be more fun, but if it's just going to make you normal, then that's that's a bit of a sickness. It's sort of like, right. you know, it's like when I was in high school, I knew guys that would just. I could understand if you going to music or drama class high because that would make it more fun. But I knew guys that would like go to like you know biology class or a, a class that they hated, you know, baked. And I was just like, this isn't. It's like you know, it's like going to smoking a joint before a court date. You know, it's not going to make it more enjoyable. It's, yeah, you're just going to be like, oh, why the fuck did I do that? Yeah, I've been in cars with like. Older comics were on the way to the gig and they spark a joint. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'll take a pull. Well, not anymore, but I would take a pull. And it made everything worse. Like the lead up, the mental mayhem, the lead up to the show, I would just be a disaster in my head. And I can't even imagine being funny. Then you go up, you get the job done, but it was like torture. Right. For, until you hit that mic. Like well, whether it's, you're I driving just, there an hour before, oh my god! It's just I would for just that be, hour is like torture. You'd be so in your head, and it's just like, 
you know, you if you, you take one pull and then then you just then I always still have that like sort of like that five ten minute window where I'm like, oh my god, that was not a good idea. Holy <laughs> shit, what did I do that for? Why am I? Oh my god, I'm just you know you fall, feel yourself going down this spiral. Yeah, and then um, then it levels out a little bit. Then and you're, then you're like, okay, I know my bits, I can get this done. Yeah, and but and then at the end, and then it's both both you're about to go on stage, you're sort of like. Why the fuck did I even do that? If I had that ten minute of yeah, panic of window, yeah, yeah. I don't feel any better right now. Uh, why don't I just do my set, have a good set, get off stage, and then have a joint? Yeah, and then that's be like, the best time. To do and it. then you can just sit back and your job's done. You could just because you know. I would also be solo energy when I did that. Yeah, I would go up, I'd get the bits, the job done, and get through the bits. But excuse me, I wouldn't be in the moment or present in the room whatsoever. Right. I was like kind of on autopilot mode. It, but super subdued autopilot too, just like slower pace and so I think for me, like I can't be at my best if if I've smoked at all. Well then also too, I always had the theory of just like um if you got off stage and if you killed, you were sort of like, Yeah, now I gotta smoke a joint to kill again up right. on stage. And then if you bombed, you were sort of like, Oh fuck, why did I you know, then you you know, you just you you if you could avoid doing it, and if it's if then if your set goes bad, then you know that it's you, and then if you so if your set goes great, then you know it's you, and you can be happy about it. Right. But if you're going up on stage all fucked up, there was a couple times where I was fucked up on, uh, or I, and if the set goes okay, then it's, I don't, I don't know. I just like now, and even I'd say for like the last ten years or so, it's just like I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't maybe have a half a beer before I go on. But um, no, 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 thanks. Hmm. Let's that, um, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I just uh, yeah, and 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 now it's just uh, you know every every once in a while you know I'll have a a puff, but it's it's more just something to relax at home or after a show. Yeah. yeah. See, I wish I could do that. I just don't have the discipline. I have zero control over it. So well, I, I know to... you were saying that. Like, um, I remember I heard you on one of these saying it's like even if you know that you have it in your house, it is going to get smoked. It's it gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I will literally, if it's in my house, okay, and I'm sleeping, okay, eyes closed, and just before you open your eyes, that final stage of waking up, I think, oh, weed. And it gets me <laughs> out of bed, and I'll go in the bathroom, and I'll smoke out the window, and then do nothing. Even though I, I try to convince myself, oh, I'll, I'll, I got all this shit to do. I'll just do it high. It'll be better. Right. But never anything ever gets done. Even if it's a phone call, like, oh, I got to call Bell to change something on my phone bill. Even that shit wouldn't get done. Like, literally, from the most minute, mundane shit to the most important things, right, yeah. it would just not get done. And I think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And then it's so crazy how when you smoke every day, how one day turns into a week, turns into a fucking year. Like that. Like so, so fast for no, me for not doing uh, it or for do not doing it. Oh, okay. Uh, no, no. If I'm smoking all the time, I mean, like, like the, my to do list. It literally a year will go by. Shit that I've been meaning to do, just so, so fast, and it's a vicious cycle. I've talked about it before. Where I'll, where I'll wake up, gets me out of bed. I'll smoke it. All right, get nothing done. Think well, tomorrow's another day. All right, wake, get. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, 3, 4 a.m., thinking of everything I should be doing. Like, oh, fuck. Feel incredible anxiety. The whole world is, is crashing around me. So what do I do? I go back or in the bathroom, smoke, go back to sleep, 
wake up, weed gets me out of bed in the morning, yeah. repeat, 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 and literally months and months, a year goes by. I'm like, fuck. Then I just had to um, stop. Like, but I, I, I'm, I'm all for. Like, I love it. Oh, so yeah, much. I know. I just love it too much. That yeah. I, and I know myself. I've made a pact with myself. When I have a million dollars, I'll smoke it again. But Ooh. until then, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you, you you start playing the lottery yeah. or just commit to you never smoking again. I had I had um I'll be I had a uh, I even hate, hate saying it. it was like a I had a, a I had a cocaine habit for a while. Really? Wow. And um, uh, what was shitty about it was it just a. It w- it wasn't noticeable to friends that I had, um, and uh, it it's it's always hard to say when you're you know when you are still getting things uh, industry wise and you know and you're doing well at your shows and yet you're still doing this shit uh, it's horrible for you. Um, it's hard to sort of be like oh, I I gotta stop this mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know then I mean it's 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 been out of me for years but. Um, Every once in a while, I still sort of be like, "Hey, wouldn't it be nice?" And then I'm like, "Oh no, I can, I can remember what the eventual effects are." But it's like it, for me, that was like, like cocaine was just something I, I couldn't have around in the house. I could never save it for a rainy day. And we did. It was it was like a Elton John. I, I saw an interview with Elton John, and he was just the same way. It was like he knew if he was sleeping in his bedroom, and if you know, he knew if uh, you know, like. It, in the basement, let me just, I don't even remember what the exact quote was, but but if he said that, oh, I know that I have a little bit of, a, a way over on the other side of the house, you know, tucked away, he was going to go off and do it. And it was just, it wasn't something that you could save for a rainy day. I was the same way with that. And I just, also I knew that creatively, it wasn't doing anything for me either. So the only way that I could justify doing a, a drug or a stimulant like that was if I could honestly say like, oh, hey, I, I punched up a bunch of jokes. Right. Or I wrote or I came up with a couple of sketches after I smoked a joint. But cocaine is one of those things that was just like literally nothing, whatever. Well, come, and coke, you also Nothing came the, from it. And you also have the financial strain of it. I mean, weed, you can spend 60 bucks a week uh, right. a week and be high 24-7, whereas cocaine, it's like 80 bucks a gram. You plow through that easily. Was it a daily thing? No, it was never. Uh, it was no, it was never a daily thing. Uh, it was like a weekend warrior sort of thing, right? Uh, but you know, the girl I was going out with at the time, you know, her and I were like a bit of a, a Sid and Nancy sort of uh, relationship, and and then you know what was weird? You say sometimes you'd rationalize it, like, oh, well, we could go out and we could go out to a bar and we could spend sixty bucks each on drinks, or we could just uh, you know buy an eight ball and play Scrabble all night. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, you then it's like, you know, it's 2.30 in the morning and you're playing Scrabble and you don't even fucking like playing, you know, and she's taking like 15 minutes to fucking play one word on a board and I just wanted <laughs> to flip the thing over and I was just, and I became, and I hated myself the next day, hated myself because yeah. my temperament was just so, like, it would take, if it took more than, you know, a minute and a half to get a coffee somewhere, I would want to just scream and just be constantly just being like what the fuck is taking so long and i was just so ill-tempered and uh yeah that and uh had a bad lap dancing habit <laughs> i had a bad stripper habit for a while too not like i was stripping but i was just going to clubs all the time <laughs> really yeah oh, it was terrible the back back room or just uh no i could never rationalize the back room um well a couple times where you sort of at like club paradise where you would sort of go in the sort of the more private lap dance area but i wouldn't 
uh, I never threw down a lot of money, but for a while it was just sort of like, because you'd come home, you'd get off, the, you'd be like, oh, hey, man, it's only 11 o'clock. I don't want to go home now, and, right. and I'll go to this place. And I think also once the bartender knows who you are, yeah, then yeah, you're yeah, sort yeah. of like, oh, maybe I've been here a little bit too often. Because I lived right near, um, oh, what was it? Uh, I li- when I was living with Scott McCricker, we lived right near um, Lansdowne and Bloor, and there were two raunchy strip clubs right there. And... You know, I was like, oh, why am I going to go home now? Yeah. I got Club Paradise and House of Lancaster too on uh, Bloor Street to go to. I got to go see Mona Lisa and Storm I've never before the end of the nice. night. I've never been into strip clubs. Never? No, nah, I mean, no, I've been inside of oh, strip okay. clubs, but I've never been into them as for, like as a thing. Oh, well, like, now it's like, I, no, for a while I was like, I am really into this. And, and then now it's like, I, I think everyone, you know, it's sort of like when people, like I haven't eaten at McDonald's in like 10 years or so. And then a uh, but every once in a while, I'd say maybe once a year, I would try to, you know, get through a, a cheeseburger if it was the only thing on the road or if a bunch of other people were going. And it was always like, oh, right. And I'd take like one or two bites and then throw it away being like, oh, right. I remember why I don't eat this shit. So it's like, uh, I think last time I was at a strip club was maybe about three years ago. And even then I, I walked in and I had like one like $8 bottle of Molson Canadian. And I was like, after about 15 minutes, I was just like. Right, I remember why I hate these places. Yeah. Not hate them, but just been like, the thrill is gone. There's yeah, nothing yeah. more here for me. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's take a short uh, break. I just got. I have to message uh, m- uh, my next guest here, but uh, let's take a short break uh, from with uh, a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back because I want to get into uh, the other times we've been mentioned on this podcast, so you can address it. So, oh, yeah. uh, thirty second break. We'll be right back with my guest, Dave Martin. This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast is brought to you once again, as always, forever and ever by Echo One Photography. That's right, GTA, Toronto area listeners, this one's for you. If you're a comedian, an actor, a musician, a business person, any sort of artist, anybody really, if you're a parent that wants headshots for your children, hey, Echo One Photography will give you some great, amazing headshots. My buddy Eugene is very talented. If you uh, own a business, again, and you want some uh, product photography done for advertising or e-commerce purposes, look for no further than Echo One Photography. Email Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E at echoonephotography.com, and he'll get you some damn good shots. Enter JDCH in the subject line to let him know I sent you, and for special offers, do it today. It's just like, it's one of those moments where you're sort of like, don't people remember when sometimes it would take a couple of hours for someone to get back to you I've, or a day. I know. And now it's like, like, I don't know if you were, but now it's like, uh, I remember being in class as a kid and if the teacher was like 10 minutes late, you were immediately like, hey, they're dead, you know, and, but you were happy about it. And then, you know, there was always that one guy who was like, hey, well, we can just write our names on the board and we can all go home. And that, which I don't think ever really stood up in school court, but uh, what do you mean as like an attendance thing? Like, yeah, no, there was always call? the one guy. Yeah, it was just a, hey, if we all write our names on the board, that's proof that we were here. Teacher didn't show up, so now we can leave. Which I was like, I don't even back then. I was questioned that logic, and I never was in a class. And then teacher would usually show up like twelve minutes late or something like that or something. Like, and um, but yes, just now it's just this immediacy that people have of just like, like where are you? I've talked about this before. Immediacy, immediacy, 
like the the fact that you're always there has replaced communication in a way. Oh, right. Yeah, because before people would leave voicemails uh, and they would accept time in between, and it and when they they would listen to the voicemails too. When you left one, they would listen to the whole thing. And now now if people see that you called once, they don't even listen to the voicemail. They'll just call you back immediately and be like, "Oh, hey, I didn't I didn't listen to your message. Yeah. But what's going on?" And and and. If you're not available, like you said, for three minutes, people freak out because that has replaced the actual communication. I had a friend who texted me. I didn't reply back within 10, 15 minutes. Then he called. No, I think he called first, left a voicemail. Didn't get back to him within a few minutes. Texted me. Just a question mark. Everything good? Yeah. Then literally Facebook messaged me after. Tried your phone. Did you lose your phone? Is everything okay? This was all in the span of like maybe 45 minutes. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I know. Well, it's just sort of like back when it's like you could, people would literally have to wait like months for a letter to show up and or, you know, you uh, like a telegraph from one place to another. And and it's just the patience that people used to have is just astounding. Now it's like if you don't hear back from someone, yeah, it's does. And I just, I, I have such a love-hate relationship with, you know, social media in some sense because it just gives these people this grandiose sense of self-importance where I'm not saying that everyone isn't important in their own unique little way, but but it's just where, you know, just the idea that like, you know when you see someone crossing the street and they don't mm-hmm. even look at the oncoming traffic? Uh, yeah. I, make a, I, I make a genuine connection f- with that attitude to social media and and people will people literally just think I have this many followers on Twitter I have this many people on Instagram I have this many people on Facebook people know who I am so people should stop when they see me crossing <laughs> the street where I'm like this just this this pig-headed idea that you have that would everyone is looking out for you. It's like, right. why would you think even the person in the car doesn't have the same bullshit attitude that you have that like, oh, I'm driving this car. I'm so important. Look at me. I'm, look how many likes I have on Facebook. If just, they're like, like, oh, people should get out of the way when they see me driving. Right. It's just that, I, and it's just, it's disastrous. It's, it's the same thing with it's this quest for fame. I mean, the guy that just shot those two reporters, like it's it now it's just becoming clear that this guy really wanted to be he wanted to be an on a famous on air personality mm-hmm. as well and it's like when these bullshit media outlets make them are are playing into their it's oh, like oh absolutely yeah. you know and and everything that this uh, psycho wrote is now a manifesto where it's like no it's it's just some psycho shit that he wrote on a piece of paper it's not yeah, a manifesto exactly and it's it would, just don't don't play into the games that they want you know totally play and then you into get it. into these these fucking the twat Nancy Grace that comes on and it's like you know and they and and as much as they say this is such a horrible event, it's like they—you could tell that they just love it. You know, it's like they're—they're—they're they're, they're masturbating under un, uh, behind the underneath the the news desk of like. Well, I this, mean, this look at this incredible story. But but, it, that but it's happens, horrible. Yeah, it's but, horrible. But, but that happens for a reason. It's because the people respond to it just as much as the media does. I mean, the media puts out this bullshit. Yeah. And I mean. Think of all the, like, okay, the articles that come out online, a first-person account video of the the shooter. Think of how many clicks that gets, because people feed into that shit. If everyone collectively chose to boycott any sort of glorification of these uh, scenarios or situations, maybe that would put an end to it, but it's never going to end because the media plays into that, but the people play also right Right. into that. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I... 
I, I mean, I see it from both sides. I see from the media sort of like, well, if they're not going to watch it here, they're going to watch it somewhere else. And we have, all right, it's, you know, the news should not be about ratings and advertising dollars. You know, the news should be, uh, an un- and the fact that so much news is disguised, or so much opinionated news, excuse me, inf- information is, is disguised as news, where it's sort of like, Excuse me. People watch like Bill O'Reilly or Sean Hannity or Ezra Levant and go, "Oh, this is news." It's not news. It's one guy's opinion. It's one guy's warped opinion on what the news is. It's like this, 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 uh, this uh, rush to get this a story out or headlines, and, and then there's no follow up whether or not the news was even correct the first time they right. Like I hate saying it, but you know, I mean, Earl that Earl the Squirrel who got. You know, he he got his name in the paper, and he was on City TV News after that the thing incident that happened at, at the Eaton Center, and then when it turned out to all be a false report, you know, it's not like City TV got back on the air and said, "Oh, hey, remember that news story where we kind of destroyed this guy's life?" Uh, oh, it turns out we were wrong, uh, and we were just going with what the cops kind of said at that time, even though the cops weren't. It's everything was allegedly. So. Clarify a little bit for the listener what what that was the Earl the Squirrel thing. Um, you know. Basically, I think the details were that, like, I mean, Earl has, I don't even like saying it, but it's like Earl had two kids, and I think his wife at the time was Filipino, so the two kids did not look like they were his, uh, you know, and he was showing them, uh, I think it was an episode of Family Guy, but then there was, like, some woman in the at the McDonald's in the Eaton Center uh, just saw him, saw the two kids, saw it was a cartoon, something probably just triggered her, and so she reported it, and then the cops, I don't know, it, but, you know, and then so the cops hauled him in, and it turned out that, you know, most of these charges were not, you know, they were not based in facts, they were just some woman trying to, you know, in her opinion, do the right thing, but mm-hmm. without any actual evidence or anything like that. But, you know, and the media just sort of jumps on it going like, hey, look what, look who we found. Look, we're making the streets safe. But it's sort of like, no, well, you don't, you know, the idea of waiting for the facts to come out, and it's like they love to throw the word allegedly, you know, uh, and then that seems to make, but, you know. Yeah, they can say anything after yeah, saying allegedly. Right, it's, it's, we live in a world of, um, it's the court of public opinion. Right. It's just like, it's not a real court. It's not where, you know, it's not where sentences are handed down. The world yeah. is a fucked up fucked up place. Uh, before we go, we we're going to go for the close soon. But before we do, let's talk about uh, the couple times you've been mentioned on this podcast, um, starting with the most recent one. You called me after. You're like, yo, I need to come on air. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Well. So it was the Sean, Sean Sugar Jam Fisher episode. And uh, he, I think he mentioned you as, um, identified you as right wing in the episode, and you kind of took issue to that. Well, I just, I mean, I don't know where he would get that idea from. I so mean, you were co-host of the Guilty Ple- Pleasures podcast with, right, with well, him and Scott. Yeah, you know, I, I took a bit of a break after the one with Darren and I ended, and um, uh, and I, you know, I mean, I was... Uh, I always, I mean, I, I like Sean as a guy. He's a very talented musician. He's a funny guy uh, in his own right. And then uh, I'm, I've always loved Scott McCrickard and I were roommates. And you know, he's easily, in, in my opinion, one of the funniest guys I know. Um, I mean, Scott has, you know, uh, 
it's always tough when you see a guy that's very so talented, but the the organizational skills are not there. And um, I think he's a hilarious guy, very funny, punch up guy, joke guy, um, and you know he can say some off color jokes and stuff like that. And and I, I and I'm guilty of that too sometimes. Uh, but uh, but yeah, when 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 Sean referred to me as, as as right wing, I don't know where he got that opinion from. So let's make it clear: you are not Dave Martin. Is not a right wing. I'm. I. You know what? I mean. I have. I have issues with super lefties as well. Right. Um. Where, uh, but I'm. I would never refer to myself as a as a right wing. Kind of. Kind of in the middle. Or? I'm definitely. I'm definitely in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Right. But I mean, to right wing is completely incorrect. I don't know where he would get that idea from. But I mean, you know, we had issues when we were doing our podcast, and it was just like, uh, you know. Uh, you know, Sean said there were times where there were racist jokes would come up, and uh, I'd like to, you know, I would edit the podcast first, and then Sean would do a second edit. And he said that so many of the episodes were littered with racist jokes. I'd like to know what they were, but you know, if there were racist jokes, uh, whether I was responsible for them or Sean or Scott was, um, I think you, if there were issues, then you got to bring them up at the time. There's, there's no, there's. You know, you're not doing anyone any good if you just sort of stay quiet and just be like, "Oh, these things were said," and I just stayed. It's, you know, it's it's like the old, "Oh, they, they did this to these people, and I said nothing. They did this to these people, and I said nothing, and then they did this to me, and there was, and then there was no one around to say something." But you know, it's that I I forget how what that that says, saying goes, but um, you know, if if he had issues with things that we were saying. It's a talk show. Then, then bring them up on the air. And of course, then the one time that things were brought up on the air, uh, Scott McCricket walked out. <laughs> but um, and it was that ridiculous Nazi robot, and that doesn't bother me so much. But I just said to him, well, when you, uh, you know, we ended up saying in that episode thirty nine, um, where the show basically kind of went off the rails. Uh, you know, when you use the word Nazi, it's sort of people in their own head get certain ideas of what that word means. And um, so I just said, well, you might want to use the word fascist next time instead of Nazi. Because, of course, when you say Nazi, people immediately think Hitler. He, people think, you know, uh, we're going to round up people and put them in camps. And, I'm, you know, Stephen Harper's not doing that. But, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely not a good guy. He does, I don't think he has... For a guy that lives in such a bubble, whenever he responds to questions like, I believe the majority of Canadians, I was like, you know, go fucking, go go eat a dick. You don't have any idea of right. what the average Canadian or what most Canadians feel, especially, you know, every time he brings up marijuana, it's just sort of like you, you're you you're so off base. You know, you don't yeah. know what you're talking, you know, when you have to be on a guest list to be a reporter to go into a news conference, right, exactly. it's just, it's such colossal horseshit. But um, yeah, again, I mean, that podcast, I was very... I, I, I think those we did some very 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 funny shows. I love those guys, and uh, I hope for the best of them uh, for those both of those guys. And uh, uh, it was really too bad how it ended. Um, and I just think if you know if you're doing a po- if you're doing a talk show and you can't talk about whatever issues you have, and if you're f- walking out on a show should be your last resort and that when that turns into your first resort then you got some serious right. issues and and I never I didn't want the show to end like there was a couple t- the, I mean 
both of those guys, there were number of times that they quit the show and I, you know, and I was able to talk them back in. I was like, come on guys, we're good. We're a good trio. I mean, you know, Scott brings this, Sean brings this, I bring this. We have various opinions. Nobody wants to listen to a show where everybody agrees. So, you know, when I didn't agree with Scott, Scott or Sean didn't agree with me, it made for good entertaining radio. So it's like, I thought we were a great team together and, uh, you know, just people lost their temper and, you know, and Scott walked out and it was terrible how it ended. I really wanted, I wanted the show to continue. I had big, I had lots of plans for it. And so whenever I see an opportunity, I was like, God damn it. That would have been a good thing for us to do. I still would have liked to have seen the Guilty Pleasures podcast, you know, you know, just even, I would have liked to have seen it try to move on to a Sirius XM platform, which Mm -hmm. is the one that we were on before the the Darren show that you know that Darren and I did. Well, let's talk um, about that. So you you good with the correction of the uh, the right wing thing? We were settled on that. Oh yeah, you, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's some issues that I'm a little bit conservative. I mean, I'm very conservative when it comes to gun control. Uh, I'm you know I don't you know I think you know if you're gonna hunt, go hunt. But if you're gonna the idea that you know you, you need a handgun to be strapped on you, like you know when they. You know, when every time there's there's a shooting in the States, someone always is like, well, if there was a hand, if someone, more people were armed, it's sort of like, where do you want it to be safe in this, do you, well, yeah. to go to in the States? I know that they have that Second Amendment, but that was at a time where they were still in fear of like, you know, well, you know militias building up and the British coming, and you know, and just... We, I can almost guarantee the NRA's response to the most recent shooting is going to be, well, if the re- both the reporter and the ca- the camera guy had a gun on them, this yeah. would not have happened. It's right. like... What what fucking world do you want to live in where everyone has a gun and everyone, you know, it's like when Jesse Ventura would talked about that shooting in uh, fucking uh, the one in Colorado, the one the guy who dressed up as the Joker, you know, showed up to. Um, was it in Colorado or it was? Was that the movie theater? Yeah, one? the movie yeah. theater one. That was in Colorado. Like you know, when a bunch of assholes were gone, I was like, you know what? If I had my own gun, it's like when you know what. What, so the ushers are supposed to have guns and the teachers right. are supposed to have guns, you know? Also, do you know how hard it is to shoot a moving target? What, actually, and in a movie theater? Right. It's sort of like then it's just gonna, it's gonna be this fucking Crazy crisscross gun of fire, guns yeah. firing, more people are gonna be dead. And whenever people's like, well, those teachers should have guns. Well, usually teachers want to become teachers because they want to educate kids, not because they want to, you know, get to go to target practice. It's like, it's... Fucking ridiculous shit, man. Ridiculous shit. Let's talk about the XM show because, again, not to rehash old things for no reason, but your main name was mentioned uh, on the podcast a few times. So, and uh, every time you would call me, and we were we were scheduling conflicts, so we we're never able to actually get you in here. But now you're in here, so um, let's uh, let's talk about it. So twice your name was mentioned in the Darren Frost episode. Uh, yeah, and the. And once or tw- several times, I think in the Ron Vaudry one. Oh, um, fucking that! I, you know what? I, both I hate, both around the, the same incident. That is Ron is one guy that I can't wait until the next time I see him and I refuse his handshake. Right. I can't. You know what? It's like the fact that um, sometimes it's so weird. Sometimes people don't realize when you're on a podcast and you talk shit about someone. People can, if you talk shit about someone, someone can go back and actually listen to it, and it's like. Ron, you talk shit about me on Dion's podcast, and it's like, and then Ron was sort of like, yeah, and then he got on the side of Darren, that little guy, Darren, did he, I don't know, if, did he call him a little shit, or? A uh, little troll, something, troll like, something, something yeah, like that, something. I'm like, and he, and he was like, yeah, and then he got on Darren Frost's side, I was like, well, as opposed to being on your side, right. it's like, if, if I'm going to choose sides, I'm going to choose the guy that, I, A, I do a radio show with, B, <laughs> the guy that has given, Darren has given me so many opportunities, 
there's so much touring. Uh, me as a comic, I have to give so much props to Darren Frost because um, there's so much touring that I wouldn't have been able to do without Darren. Uh, I don't even know if I would have gotten to do a debaters episode if it wasn't for Darren uh, in Winnipeg. I mean, I'd submitted a bunch of times, but it really took uh, both Darren and I to go to the Winnipeg Fest uh, for me to get a debaters episode. And uh, and then I did the radio show with three for three years with him. So I mean, Vaudry, I'm gonna choose your side because fucking apparent, you know, Mark Breslin is destroyed. Oh my god! Just, so the whole thing was Ron Vaudry went in studio for a, a Sirius XM Laugh Attack interview. On well, your show. yeah, it was a, the Anything Goes show. Was Rebecca, oh yeah, that's a, what Rebecca Kohler was the co-host right. for it. And uh, the fucked up thing was that like while we were recording the show because. At that particular month, hockey was still going on, so we couldn't use the studio that was directly across from the one that we were using because there's a window in between the two. And so Darren and our Vict- uh, producer Victoria were down the hall in the stu- in the smaller studio, but it was connected to the one that we were using. So in the studio it was myself, Rebecca, and Ron Vaudry. And so we did the interview. The interview was fine. It was interesting. It was well done. I think Ron actually came across all right in it. Um, you know, there were moments where, you know, because Ron was a bully uh, and he liked to bully younger comics. And it's amazing how many, how long he was a bully. Because I was even talking to, uh, is it, I'll say Mike Wilmot. I was talking to Mike Wilmot. Even Mike Wilmot was sort of like, yeah, fucking Ron was a bully then. He was a bully to all up and coming comics. I'm like, you know, it's one of those moments where, like, unless, are you genuinely threatened by the guy that's been doing this for four months that I'm going to take your spot that you feel like, right. you feel like you need to be a fucking cunt to me? It's like, I would I remember when Ron would, uh, and I actually had to put the words drill sergeant into his mouth as a way to describe him. And, but even Ron couldn't justify his drill sergeant attitude. And I was like, you know what, if, if he could actually, you know, um, in a, in a, in a, in a well, if he could actually say what his, the method to his madness was being an asshole and being a bully, if he could say, oh, well, like a drill sergeant, I was trying to make these comics tougher. And, but in my heart, I, you know, you know, I, I like them and the tougher I was to them, that was only a testament to how much I liked them. But he couldn't even, he couldn't even verbalize that. Uh, so I had to be like, Hey, you were like a drill sergeant. Yeah, I was like a drill sergeant, and uh, so and, and he felt attacked on the show, and he thought he felt he like didn't, he was. I don't know if you know if he felt that like he was attacked on the show. Then the show ended, interviews over with. Uh, Darren's in the other room, and then Ron's like, "I guess I bugged the little guy for when I was on amateur night." And blah, blah, yep, yep, yep. And then so Darren hears that he's still listening to it on his headphones in the other room, and then so Darren takes off his headphones, and I think him and Vaudry start yelling at each other over the uh, in the studio, and then he takes and then Vaudry gets out of the studio and then they start yelling at each other in public and uh, or in the studio um, there wasn't anyone else there thank God and then Vaudry storms out and uh, and I think, I think the last thing Darren said to him is you know uh, uh, go back go back to burning bridges in the UK Vaudry and uh, and then Ron Vaudry then he texts me to go and meet him at a bar at the poorhouse I was there right that night. and then I showed up for whatever fucking reason and then uh and then he's still squawking about it. And he says, "I'm not. I didn't sign a release. That's, I didn't sign he, he a release." He brought that up at the poorhouse. I was there because yeah. he texted me too. He's like, "Because I live across the street." He's like, "Come, 
come over and then you show it up. But there's implied consent when you go to a radio show that you're going to be on. It's like going up to the it's like going to the dentist. You sit in a chair and then be like, hey, I didn't sign a release that you were going to fuck around with my teeth. Right. You know, it's like, no, you showed up to a dentist. You showed up to a radio show. If you're if you speak into the mic, it's kind of assumed that we're going to put it on the air. So we didn't it didn't ever go on the air. It's on uh, it's on like a Dropbox or it's not Dropbox. You can listen to the interview. It's if you scroll down far enough on the Anything Goes Facebook page uh, on on Facebook, you can find you can find the interview, and it comes across fine. The all the heat that came from that came after the show. Darren and Ron yelling at each other. I still stand beside behind Darren completely, and um, it, uh, it. But you know what? After being doing the being a comic for this many years, like I'm sorry, but a guy like Vaudry should be like I'm above this. Right. You know what? I've been doing this long for. I've been doing this for this long. I've uh, I've had some. Uh, I've you know I've had my highs. I've achieved a lot. I'm I'm a skilled club comic. I can do my thing. Uh, I'm a joke. Whatever the fuck. But he at a certain point you should be above this, not squabbling about little little pissy things. And quite frankly, you know if he didn't bring it up on your show, it would get forgotten about That's so right. quickly. Right. It's like when I heard that he was on your show and I listened to it, and the fact that he talked about it for thirty fucking minutes, I'm like Vaudry, this is dead and buried. You're <laughs> keeping this corpse alive. So he's a guy that I can't wait to uh, not shake hands with. Yeah. yeah what? Uh, why, why did that show ever end? Anything goes. Uh, why did it end? Um, well, I mean, this. I don't. I'm not going to bring up the straw that broke the camel's back because it's it's childish and it's pointless, and uh, I don't. There's no reason to bring it up. But in the big picture, um, well, you know. Darren's a family man. He's a very res- he's a responsible guy. He's never been a partier. Uh, he has kids. He has a lovely wife, and he's got three great kids. And he's a you know this has always been a business to him. And um, me, I you know I like to party. I like I don't do it as much as I once did, but I like to get I would all be the first one to say I like to get fucked up. I get out of control sometimes. I don't have a I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have a lot of responsibilities. You know, I'm amazed that a I'm still alive uh, from the craziness that I've gotten up to over the years. I'm st- I'm amazed and I'm surprised. And there's moments where I'm like I shouldn't be alive anymore, uh, just from the partying that I've done. And um, there were a couple of times on the last tour, uh, I definitely went out, I went out of control. And I think that uh, you know Darren got tired of sort of babysitting me, and uh, I'll you know that's. Uh, and, and it's a drag, you know? I mean, there were times, uh, even though, you know, once we got on the mics, both him and I had a great chemistry. We were, uh, he had his opinions, I had mine. We always had a guest, and both him and I could go back and forth with each other. Uh, you know, we felt similar on a lot of issues, and but we differed on some, and I think we had a very good radio dynamic. We had a great chemistry together. Um, and so when we were and there was you know it was it, I hate using the words like magic but we were very good together on the radio uh, and uh, I was on point when once we got behind the mics but once the mics were off uh, I will admit that I would go a little crazy sometimes and I think Darren got tired of putting up with it and I and I totally understand and if I was in his position I'd be like you know why am I keeping this fucking caged animal sometimes and uh, um you know i've 
clean and also you know it's and also we weren't getting paid for the show we did three years on this on the air 150 shows you know we did live shows at the comedy bar we did an amazing live show at the winnipeg fest al ray was over the top enthusiastic about you know how our show went i think we peaked in winnipeg and we that's when we were with um uh that's when the original three uh kathleen mcgee darren and myself were together again and I think that the three of us were a great group together, and um, and and you know, and I don't know if XM ever had any, you know, I don't know if they had any real thoughts of ever paying us. I think if you start for free, yeah, you're kind of fucked. You're at that point. you're kind of painting yourself in the corner, and um, you know, and we always wanted to try for advertise to get advertisers, but you know, either you have to be able to really track your downloads because we also had an agreement that we were going to podcast our show, so we could track our downloads. But unless you have an exact number of your downloads that you're getting, or, or if you can say your listeners and SiriusXM, uh, they they don't have the you know they don't they don't subscribe to a rating system. They oh really? Yeah, oh. they just basically say you know, we have. 26 million subscribers right and so then it's the it's the whole allure of well you have the possibility of 26 million people listening to you and um and you know we would interview some comics some were some we had some great interviews i'd say i'd say the majority of them were i'd say the majority of them were good a couple were really stinkers uh and a and a couple of them were great um uh, a lot, I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that we did on the road, um, you know, both in like Calgary, Ottawa, you know, we got to interview, you know, um, Christopher Titus, Mark Marin, uh, Mike McDonald, uh, Ron James was a great one. We got nominated for uh, two Canadian comedy awards the all in a row. Uh, and the, we're the only show that XM, that Sirius XM, that's ever happened on Sirius XM. We were the only show to do that. And uh, I don't think Sirius XM gave us the kind of props that we deserved. Uh, I think that they were like, oh, well, these guys, we got these guys already. You know, they're happy right. doing what they're doing. Right. You know, I think sometimes that we were, we were, might have been a bit of a hassle to Sirius XM because we were the guys that would show up and we would demand sort of like, hey, we want to get this recording equipment. We want to have, we want to get access to the fan expo or, you know, the everything to do with sex show. We want this, we want that. And I think a lot of other shows that, you know, that were on there were just like, hey, we'll just show up and we'll do our thing and leave. That's fine. But you know, we really wanted more from the show, and um, I think at the end of the day, I think also we kind of had hit a bit of a point where we were kind of tired of interviewing comics about comedy, and uh, and not to diss Canadian comedians in any way, but we've always found whenever we would have an American on, whether it was Jay Ogerson or Sam Tripoli or um, Paul Morsey, uh, we just found that American comics would would really bring it. Right. You know, we would have them on for 20 minutes, and man, that 20 minutes was gold. Mm-hmm. And because they were like, okay, because I think they're more used to doing morning radio. There's Absolutely, more of a there's yeah. more of a crossover between morning radio and comedy clubs stateside. And um, and we and and there was there was like a couple. I'm not going to mention who, but there was a couple of guys that we would have on that would be super opinionated uh, off stage and even on stage. As soon as we get them behind the mics, we'd be like, hey man, so what are you up to? Uh, you know, uh, not much. And they'd be like, what the fuck is, what's your, and then, and then we would wrap up an interview or start wrapping up an interview. And then some comics would be like, oh, what, is that it? Yeah, this is a radio show. This is not a fucking podcast where you can, you know, where you can cruise for 40 minutes and then the last 20, then you can maybe get into gear. Um, but, um, 
you know, I, I, I love doing the show and it was, it, I, there's moments where I wish it was still going on. Uh, I had the opportunity to try to do another show. Um, and I made a demo and, uh, I think I was asked by the program director if I wanted to continue on with the anything goes show. And I wish I said yes, but I was kind of stupid and I was a uh, cocky and I was like, no, no, no. I think I want to do a daily morning show and go on and do like the, you know, the, the, the nine to 11 slot or something like that. And I, uh, and I did a demo for him and it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't go, I don't know if it went, I don't know. It just didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I should have just been like, ah, no, you, you already have a show here. You should hold on to it. But I got cocky and stupid and I just thought I could do a, a daily show. And, you know, when you find good chemistry with someone and then you throw yourself in a booth with someone else and you don't have that chemistry and you think it's just going to magically happen and it doesn't always yeah. do that. Darren, uh, I think Darren and I were great together. You know, we just spoke, and there was a good, I'd say a good, well, what, it ended in January 2000, so I think there was a good sort of year and a half where Darren and I didn't talk at all, but at the same time, when, you know, when you're doing a radio show for three years with someone, and you're talking almost every day, and that talk sometimes turns into, you know, bitching about the show and the industry, then, you know, you do get tired of people. And, uh, you know, Darren and I didn't talk for a good year and a half. And you're good now? Um, I think we're, 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 we're building, we're, we're, we're rebuilding. We're, we're putting things back together. We might do, I, I, no, we, we will do another show together. We will relaunch the show. I don't know if it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a weekly thing. I think we might make it more of an event-based thing, like of a really good comic that we're both interested in talking who comes to town. We'll talk to them, but um, but yeah, it was. I think it was a combination of, you know, I was out of control and Darren didn't want to be a babysitter. I needed a wrangler, uh, um, and uh, we weren't going to get paid. It, and also, it took a, it took time uh, and out of Darren's schedule going down to the studio and he'd be away from his family and that never bothered me because it was never a factor for me um but uh i would uh and uh yeah and then i don't think there was ever a prospect of us getting paid for it and yeah I, the I next one you do you got to get paid for it uh for sure cause, it, uh, well if we do something on legitimate radio whether it's serious or anywhere else it was, right. it'd be nice to it, it would be nice to get a coin i think we deserved it and i think we brought a lot of attention to serious exam and gave comics a lot of opportunity you know, to promote themselves. And if the comics didn't take advantage of that, that's shitty. And that kind of got under, on, under our skin as well. You know, it's sort of like you're on, you're on, you know, you're on a North American yeah. show or it was a worldwide show that you probably could have listened to online anywhere you wanted to. And then if you were in, and we did have listeners, we did get feedback from people that would listen to the show. And, uh, well, we never really, we never felt that we got the love back from some of the guests that we had. And, but, you know, it was a combination of things, but, you know, um, I, uh, Darren's a, Darren's a good friend of mine and, uh, um, it's too bad how it ended, but it did. And, uh, you know, but it, uh, I appreciate him for every uh, opportunity that he gave me and he gave me a lot of them. Well, and there it is. Dave Martin, I'd like to thank you for coming by the studio. Um, do you want to plug anything before we go? Uh, well, you can still listen to Anything Goes, which is still on iTunes. And um, the first podcast I did, Corktown Radio, is I'm going to start making best of episodes and then put those out on iTunes. And you can still listen to all 40 episodes of the Guilty Pleasures podcast 
that I did with uh, Sean and Scott. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing another podcast uh, in a, in a month or two, and then Darren and I will be doing uh, another show again. Well, look- and then other than that, uh, Twitter Dave Martin World, and on the internet DaveMartinWorld.com. Perfect, DaveMartinWorld.com. Thanks for doing it. Thanks and, for uh, hey, thanks for having me. There was other bullshit that I could have got. We could have talked about, but well, I'll have you for uh, part two. All right. All yes. Right. Thank you, man, and watch your head. Thank you. I already, I already bumped it once. Well, there it is. Another episode in the 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 the, the b- 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 books. That started off um, re- real. That stutter, and then I just exaggerated it to 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 play off that it wasn't. All right. Uh, thanks to my guest Dave Martin. That was a good chat. And thanks to you for listening. Always, you. Without you, this is nothing. I'd probably still do it, but to nobody. So I appreciate it. Appreciate all the feedback. Keep sending the feedback. Email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. And uh, like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. And that's it, I guess, for now. We'll see you. Come back on Friday. All right, everybody, I'm going to go have another nap. Enjoy the day. Enjoy this day. And as always, watch your head. A beautiful waste of time is just a waste of time. Oh
I got nothing better do to do. Do you want to speak to your dad? Yeah, is he there? Is he there? Really? Fuck you. Tumara pas kya hai? Tumara pas kya hai? Tumara pas kya hai? He, oh, he is saying that mere pas mal hai. Mere pas mal hai. Mere maaj jaisa mal hai. Yes. Deve sala mal mal hai. Amal hai na lola. Ye upu jaye. Ena am janna pari thi lola. <laughs> what is he saying? It's not rude. It's rude to 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 talk behind my back. What is he saying? No, no, no. We were we were just talking to each other. Not about you though. Yeah.